There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning. You are listening to the Daily Doctrine Devotional. This is a daily podcast designed to teach and preach Bible doctrine each weekday throughout the year. This is Evangelist Tim McVeigh asking you to please let others know about this podcast so that they can subscribe or tune in each weekday. At the end of the podcast, we will provide you with subscription information as well as contact information for our ministry. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. And the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed, song of the redeemed. And then Job had three friends that showed up. You know what he said of them? Miserable comforters are ye all. What did they do? They condemned Job. He's in misery. He's suffering. He's grieving. And for seven days they spake not a word. It's the only good thing they did. As soon as they opened their mouths, they condemned Job for his predicament and condemned him for his self-righteousness. And they spoke against him. What they did, they worsened his misery. You've had friends like that? But it's nothing like a friend to really kick you when you're down. Good modern term. Nothing like a friend to come up and just go ahead and just gouge you while you're hurt. Well, that's a real friend, isn't it? Can I say there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother? You'll find a real friend. I said a real friend. Love it at all times. But Job's friends failed him. When he looked to them, they failed him. I'm not a big alliterator. When I do, it always looks silly and sounds dumb. But you realize his finances have failed, his flesh has failed, his friends have failed, his family's failed. What's left? What's the key to Job? What's, what's going to make the difference for Job? Everything else has failed him. Is there any, any hope that he can hold to? Let's go back to our text in Job 42. In Job 42, in verse 3, Who is this? He that hideth counsel without knowledge. Therefore I uttered that I understood not. You know what failed Job above all else? His understanding. He couldn't understand why God allowed this to him and he went through this and he finally just says, I see all of these things. These are things too wonderful for me. I cannot understand why, how, where, what, because I don't understand God. Proverbs 30, would you turn there with me? In Proverbs 30, we see, a, I believe, a great definition of understanding. Proverbs chapter 30, in verse 18. There be three things which are too wonderful for me. And this is what he says, which I knew not, or excuse me, which I know not. 
These are things too wonderful. What did Job say? This is too wonderful. It's beyond my understanding. This is beyond my thinking. This is beyond my mind. I do not understand this. The way of an eagle in the air. I mean, can you explain it? You ever tried to fly? You ever tried to soar? Can you see a thermal? But you watch that eagle in the air and he sees that thermal. Effortlessly, he flies. He's the king of the sky. He glides on those thermals and rises up into the heavens. And soars at mighty altitudes. The Lord told us we'll mount up with wings as eagles. Run and not be weary. Walk and not faint. Why, that eagle is a picture. That eagle is, a, is an example. That eagle is something we can look to and realize that, listen, the eagle has no cares. He has no worries. He's flying high. He is the king of the sky. You ever figured out how he does it? The Proverbs told us, no, I can't understand this. This is beyond me. It's too wonderful for me. The way of a serpent upon a rock. Listen, I know scientists can try to explain it. You can get technological and try to explain how those scales shift in each of those. But do you realize those scales shift in synchronization and a blue racer snake can run ahead at 22 miles an hour the way of a serpent upon a rock? He can glide effortlessly faster than what a man can go for short bursts. Science say, well, those scales is very, very fast. They all synchronize. They move together. They what? No, that serpent upon a rock, you can't understand. You can't comprehend it. You can't explain how he moves upon that rock. It's too wonderful. But you watch him sometime. Get that little garden snake and throw him on a big flat rock and just watch the effortlessness by which he moves. You know what? God put that in him. And that's why we can't understand it. I mean, go watch Discovery Channel. Go get a video. Figure out how snakes work. You still won't understand it. Why, it's beyond our understanding. We, ourselves, are fearfully, we're wonderfully, fearfully made. God made that serpent to do what it does. God made that eagle to fly like he flies. Thirdly, he said, the way of a ship in the midst of the sea. You ever watch the ship in a storm? How that ship goes, is tossed to and fro, hither, thither, and yon. But that ship floats. That ship rides the crest and drops to the trough and rides the crest and drops to the trough. Hey, it's a marvelous and a wonderful thing. I'll just be honest. My flesh fails me, especially on ships. Just be honest with you. I remember in the Gulf of Mexico, we decided to go fishing for grouper. And it got to the point, there's another McDonald's story there, but that's before we went fishing. I don't mind going to McDonald's for Grandma's house, but I'll never go to McDonald's before fishing in the ocean again, ever. And I remember sitting with my rod over my shoulder, and every time that back of that boat rises, the exhaust ports come out. And every time it sinks, that cloud of exhaust shoves up in my face. And I remember just rising four to six feet every 10 seconds. And I finally just had the rod over my shoulder. I could feel something yanking, and I did not care. 
If it had been the biggest grouper in the sea, I could care less what was on my fishing line. My flesh failed me. But I could never understand how that ship was on the sea. But God made a way for it to float. And God made a way for it to steer. You watch those boat captains and those inlets like Hallover and places like that where the Atlantic empties or Biscayne Bay empties into the Atlantic or there at Norfolk where the Chesapeake dumps down into the Atlantic Ocean. And you watch those pilots ride those currents and turn those currents and guide those ships and guide those boats and they'll crest those waves. And it's a marvel to watch, but I don't understand a bit of it. Because I don't understand it. Because it's too wonderful for me. And then he goes on, fourthly, and he said this, in the way of a man with a maid. Can I say this? It's too wonderful to understand. But God put that in there. That maid comes on her wedding night and she's a virgin. That's not a curse word. I said, she's a virgin. That young man comes into that maid and instinct is there and Maybe the talk from dad is there and the talk from mom is there and the trepidation and the nerves, but there's just a way of that man with that maid. God has put that together. God has made that such. And when they come together and they come together in that marriage of that marriage vow, and they bring their bodies together. And it pleases God to do so. That man, he that findeth the wife findeth a good thing. That's too wonderful to understand that way of a man with a maid. It's too hard to understand that how wonderful that is and how marvelous that is. And it's God's doing. These are things too wonderful that we understand not. A friend of ours, well, acquaintance of ours and a friend of ours. He's the acquaintance, she's the friend. We're going to get married here, Lord willing, I guess, in about three weeks. They've tried to do it right. They've tried to be right. And let me just say this. He was talking to us. I'm not trying to shame him. Some of you might know what I'm talking about, possibly. He came to me and he just said, he said, I'm kind of nervous. I mean, I'm nervous over the kiss. You know what I told him? I said, Dipper, it won't matter after that. And if he doesn't, somebody better tell me he's a big chicken. He said, I'm kind of nervous. I mean, he just always said, what if I mess it up? You can't mess up your first kiss with your bride. I don't care how stupid it is. Amen. Amen. That's good. You can't mess it up. I said, go ahead and dip her. Well, somebody bear witness. How many of you were there? I dipped mine. Amen. I don't know if she remembers the kiss, but she remembers getting dipped. Amen. Thank God for that. You know why I dipped her? I gave her a choice. I said, you're either getting the cake in the face or you're getting dipped. She said, you're kidding me. I said, nope, I'm not kidding. She said, I'll take the dip. I said, all right, no cake in the face for you. Amen. It's a wonderful thing. It's a marvelous thing when God brings the right people together. I'm just going to put the message on hold. We're going to run a rabbit, Brother Haynes. I hope that's okay to shoot it. You newlyweds can probably counsel some of these young people. You newlyweds back there still honeymooning, holding hands, loving on each other. I like it. Amen, Brother Haynes. I like it. 
You say they're really newlyweds? Yeah, they really are. He'll tell you all about it if you give him a half hour. Amen. He'll tell you all about it. You young people, you wait for the right one. Right. It's not roulette. It's not a carousel. You wait for the right one. Why? Because it's wonderful. Amen. Man to find the man to find the wife, find the good thing. It's a wonderful thing to find the right wife. It's a glorious thing when you find the right spouse. You wait till God sends you the right one. You wait on God and God and, and wait on his long suffering and his patience and his kindness and his love for you. God will send you the right person. I watch so many people destroy their lives and the wonderment is gone because they just didn't wait on God. They chased his flesh, chased their wants and their desires. You all know me a long time. I didn't get married until I was 41. You may think that's weird. That's never bothered me. I don't want to get married. Anybody think about getting married until I was about 35, probably. I'm being honest with you. Why? I was enjoying life. I think a lot of people get married just because they're miserable. They think it's going to get better then. They make both people miserable then. I finally realized I needed a wife. And I walked into a Baptist church. On a Wednesday night, first time I'd ever been there. And my future wife sat down in front of me. You listen. We're running a rabbit. It's okay. We're going to shoot the rabbit. We'll move on. My future wife sat down in front of me. And the Lord said, that's the one. Some of y'all didn't know that. He said, how do you know that? So I went to Mr. Gearhart that night. I said, can I talk to you about something? Yeah, sure. Said, Would you pray about me seeing your daughter? Maybe talking to your daughter and mother I don't want to mock he just went he said do I understand you correct I said you do I didn't even met her yet you listen bear with me now you listen she sat down in front of me the Lord said there she is I said the Lord said there she is $100,000 in bribes, and about two years later, we were married. God put it together. And I want to thank you. And I want to say this, through my own stupidity, and my own ignorance, and my own lust, and my own wretchedness, God still gave me a good wife. And I want to thank him and praise him for it. It's a thing that's too wonderful. It's beyond my understanding. Joe's flesh failed him. His finances failed him. His friends failed him. His family failed him. But then Job's understanding failed. Job got to the place he had to believe God. There was nothing else he could cling to. Nothing else he could hold to. Nothing else in his life that he could go to for solace and support and for, for love and compassion and warmth and friendliness and all of those things we count so dear. Job had none of it. He's sitting in the ash heap. He's scraping his sores with a potsherd in his misery. Why is he in the ash heap? Well, I've heard it said, and I believe it's right. That's the last place he heard from God. You see, he went every day to offer those sacrifices for his children. 
And now his children are dead and gone. And Job sits down in the place of the sacrifices where he offered offerings to God. And he sat down in the ashes of destruction. He sat down in the ashes of his defeat. He sat down in the ashes of what he thought was a ruined life. And he sat in the last place he'd heard from God. And he waited on God to speak again. Finally, God came to Job. And Job said, I will lay my hand upon my mouth. I'm listening. I'm not talking. I'm listening. When the Lord spoke to Job, finally, in chapter 42, we read the verses. Finally, he said, listen, I've heard you, but now with mine eyes, Lord, I see you. The eyes of faith were opened when his understanding failed. When there was nothing left to hold on to, his eyes were open to God. God revealed himself to Job. And what did he do? He gave Job a space to repent, dust, and in ashes. The lowest place of his life, he found the Lord. In the place of destruction, he found the Lord. Chapter 42 of our text, again in the book of Job. Job is seated there in the ashes and the dust. In verse 10, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. When he prayed for his friends, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him. Over all the evil that the Lord had wrought upon him, brought upon him, every man also gave him a piece of money and everyone an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-asses. He, he had also seven sons and three daughters. The Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. You want to pay that price? You want to walk with God and put your faith in Christ? Put your trust in Christ? Put your body in God's hands? Put your children in God's hands? Put your life in God's hands? And then can I say this and put your understanding in God's hands? Lord, I cannot understand, but I believe you. Romans 8.28 is the easiest verse in the world to quote to other people. But I'm going to tell you honestly, it's one of the hardest verses to believe yourself when you're in trials. For we know that all things work together for good. It's so easy to quote to somebody. Listen, brother, I know you listen, I know you had a heart attack and liver therapy and kidney transplant, and lost your legs, and your wife 
is dead. And I mean, but brother, all things work together for good to them that love God. That was the call according to his purpose. It's so easy to quote. But have you ever been there and had to quote it to yourself? In the suffering of life, the sorrows of life, and had to lay there in the misery and in the sorrow and in the hurt and say, Lord, I know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Then which are the called according to his purpose. Knowing that you're in God's hands. Having this confidence to say, Lord, whatever comes my way, it's yours. Whatever you bring to me and through me, Lord, it is yours. These are things too wonderful. Things that we can't understand. But as long as we can figure it out, we don't need God. As long as we can wrap our minds around it, we don't need God. As long as we got money in the bank, we don't need God. As long as our family's doing good and seemingly prosper, we don't need God. Finances are good, we don't need God. Why pray? We got money. Why pray for our daily bread? We got food. Why seek after God? I have everything. I have clothing. I have all these things. Why do I need God? He says, no, you're not that you're naked, miserable, poor. These are the greatest things people could, can do in their lives and need to do. I'm pretty convinced is they need to stand up to their family, need to stand up to their friends, find out how faithful, loyal they really are. The family gets you out of church, friends get you out of church. Friends pull you away from God, family pulls you away from God, illicit conversations, ungodly conversations. Can I say to you, friend, be ashamed for one of us to have to go that low to see God. If that was that what it takes. That's what God has to do with us and through us. Then so be it. Job is a picture of great suffering, great angst, great sorrow. He never cursed God. He was an upright man, perfect man, eschewed evil. But what happened? When his understanding failed, he lost sight of God. He didn't see him clearly. The last thing he had was his own understanding. And when it failed, he staggered. We got everything all figured out. And then tragedy comes. We got everything all figured out. And then calamity comes upon us. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Oh, but I got all figured out. I got my life planned ahead of me, thou fool. I'll do, I'll do this. I'll boast of this. I'll boast of tomorrow. I'll plan this. We got this, this, and just on down the line. Yet we've never, we have never, we have never really grasped what it means to lose everything. Till we lose sight of God. Amen. And then you have lost everything. You can have the bank accounts, retirement plans, good job, big family, houses, lands. 
If you've lost sight of God, you've lost everything. So Job said, I repent in dust and ashes. Things too wonderful. But I understood not. Father, I want to thank you for this word of truth. I want to thank you for the word of God for speaking to our hearts. I pray you'd have your way in the rest of this service. Do your bidding and do your will in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. There's a lost soul who's tired of the sinning And he longs to return to the Lord As he cries for forgiveness and mercy God is waiting You have been listening to the Daily Doctrine Podcast with Evangelist Tim McVeigh. For correspondence, please contact us through our website and someevangelist.com and use the contact form to connect with us. You may also subscribe to the podcast through our website or search for Daily Doctrine Evangelist Tim McVeigh on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, or Amazon. To write to us, please use our church address, which is Manasseh Community Baptist Church, 70 Back Hollow Road, Blaine, Pennsylvania. 17006. Thank you for listening, and we pray that the Lord will help each of us as we study and preach the Word of God. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in tomorrow. And remember to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Now the angels of God are rejoicing for the prodigal child has come home, and the saints all with gladness are singing the glorious song of the redeemed.